pleasure to be with you this morning. Good to see uh, our Crosspoint family as well as some guests, first-time guests. I actually met a second-time guest this morning. Upward families, those listening on the internet, you're all welcome here. And as our children are leaving, if you'll open your bulletin and take out the outline that you'll find there, we can get started with today's message, Raising Your Kids Without Raising Your Blood Pressure. Since this is upward season, we thought what we should do with our upward families is try to provide for them some strength for their family. And so that's why we're doing this series at this time. Anybody here of Dr. James Dobson? He wrote a book a number of years ago called Parenting Isn't for Cowards. He says, it's tough being a parent. Just about the time you get experienced at it, your kids go out the door. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have two, three, four kids, and man, you're, you're at that fourth one, and man, you're feeling pretty good about you. You got this parenting thing down, and all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. All that wasted talent and ability. Well, you know what? What are we supposed to do? Heard about one guy that had five theories and no kids, and then he got five kids and no theories. Who do we turn to? Well, look up here on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 gives us the model who we're supposed to look to. It says, be perfect even as what? Your heavenly Father is perfect. There's the model. I'm not looking at the model. That's the model. Our heavenly Father. All of us fathers are flawed. Mothers are flawed. Parents are No perfect parents. But we do have a perfect heavenly Father that we can look to See, we're, 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 we're preaching the standard during this series. And there's a whole bunch of grace that goes with that. And next week I'm going to be talking about hope for hurting parents. Because we don't always get it on straight. And, and I have some hope for you. So come back next week for that. But this week, raising our kids without raising our blood pressure. Our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so today's message is really pretty simple. You treat your kids like God treats you. Pretty simple, huh? You parents treat your kids like God treats you as one of His children. Psalm 103, verse 13 says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those that fear Him. For He knows how we are formed. God knows something, that verse says. What does He know? How we are formed. All that simply means is, God knows what makes you tick. God understands you. He understands how you're wired up, because He wired you up. And it's our job before to be like our Heavenly Father to figure out what? how our kids are wired up, what makes them tick. And once you understand that, then you know how to parent your children. Does that make sense? If I want to be like my Heavenly Father, I I sort of have to do what He does. And the first thing He does, if you look at, there are really five things I want to look look at this morning. I must learn to understand my children. I think the number one complaint of kids is something like this. My kids just, 
My parents just don't understand me. And it's very, very frustrating. But I must understand my children. Proverbs 24 says, Homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and, what's the next word? Understanding. That is foundational. If you don't understand your kids and how they're wired up and what makes them tick, then you're missing out on the foundational principle of raising them. God says we're to study our children. Do do all of your children, those of you that have multiple children, all have the same strengths? Do all of your children have the same talents and gifts and abilities? I'm seeing some heads going like this. You guys used to be home parents. I know you had a bunch of kids. And no, they, they don't. And so... If I'm going to understand what makes them tick, I need to understand that they're all different. And so don't try to fit them all in the same mold. Someone says, my job is easy. I've got identical twins. Even identical twins aren't identical, I will tell you. I knew identical twins growing up. They are very, very different. We're all different. And our number one job as parents is to kind of figure out what makes them tick and then treat them accordingly. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, here's the way we normally interpret that verse. Well, you know, if you start teaching your children very, very young about God, teach them biblical principles, someday they may go astray, but if you get enough of it in them, they'll come back. How many of you heard it interpreted that way? That's not what this verse means. This, first of all, you need to understand, this is a proverb. It is not a promise. Do you understand the difference? It's a promise. Where is it found? In the book of Proverbs, not in the book of promises, right? Are you getting this? And the word, the way, The way actually means according to their bent. As a matter of fact, the the Amplified Version says, train them in keeping with his individual gift or bent or talents or gifts and abilities. Uh, It means style. Your child, each of your children has a certain style. They have a certain temperament. They have a certain personality. And so what your job is, parents, is to figure, what that, figure out what that is and then lead them in that direction. Every person is a 10 at something. God does not bring you into this world without giving you gifts, talents, and abilities. And parents, you would do yourself a whole lot of good to figure your kids out and understand your kids and figure out how God has wired them So you can lead them in the way that he should go. And you can save yourself a whole lot of money too. Because how many of you have sent your kids to college and spent $100,000 or more and they're in a field totally unrelated to what you sent them to college for? You know why you did that? Because you weren't studying your kids and figuring out what they're good at. Every child is a 10 at something And you better help them figure that out. Uh, And looking back at our own son, I think we kind of blew it on this one. I'm glad he got a Christian education. 
but he kind of fought us on it, said, this isn't for me, I want to go another direction, and we said, no, you will graduate in four years, and you will go to this university, and you will do exactly as we say, and he did it in obedience, but talking to him about that years later, he said, dad, you know what, would have been a whole lot better off if I went to, because we, we, the field that he's now in, we just had dinner with him this past week, and he says, they, they brought me up to management, but it's taken me six years to get there. And if he had just, my, my son is really talented when it comes to, like, going to the websites and YouTube and reading about something, and if it interests him, he dives into that deep, deep, deep and figures it out and then does it. That's more his bent. That's more his style. Not sitting in a room with a book and listening to lessons. That's not the way he's wired. But we made him do that. And he's now in management. And had we sent him maybe to a trade school or a tech school that he was interested in, he would have been in management his first or second year. I'm telling on myself, all right? I did not listen or understand. I, I did not listen to the, the owner's manual, the book on understanding. Now, I'm glad he got a university degree. And has it helped him? Yes. Has he benefited from that? Absolutely. But his bent was more in another area. So you say, what's the proof if I'm understanding my kids? Look at the next verse, Proverbs 14.29. A man of understanding has what? Patience. So ask yourself, am I patient with my children? If you are, then you are a man. You are a woman of understanding. If not, you need to go back and listen to what God's word says. Learn to understand your children. Number two, I must accept my children. Just accept them. Sometimes we find that hard to do because they all have flaws. And so I say, accept them, flaws and all. Let me ask you a question. Are you perfect parents? No, a lot of heads shaking, no. But does God still accept you as his kids? Yes, he does. And so if he accepts you with all your flaws and all, why don't you accept your own children flaws and all? They're never going to be perfect, but accept them is the key. I not only understand them, I have to accept them. That's a little thing called grace. Ever heard about it? The Bible teaches that all the time. We need to be gracious to our children. Romans chapter 15, 7 says, Accept one another, that includes your kids, just as Christ accepts you. God has custom designed the children he put into your family. And so accept them. Accept them as a gift. Don't make them like you. Affirm their uniqueness. If you don't, then one day they will conclude, I just cannot be myself. And you want them to be yourself, not a carbon copy of you, because you've already admitted to me that you're not perfect, right? And so don't try to live out your life or your dreams through your children. God has wired them a certain way. Figure out what that is and lead them, train them in the way that they shall go. Mm. 
So important. Then, number three, I must discipline my children. You know why? Children need boundaries. They need to know how far I can go, and children will always test your boundaries. And that's what's kind of cool if you've got siblings, and they get tested, and now you figure out from their mistakes, and you don't have to go through the discipline. But discipline your children. Hebrews twelve six says the Lord does that for anybody he loves. If he loves you, you're being disciplined. He will never punish you, but he will discipline you. It shows that you care. And when you let your kids get away with anything and everything, it shows that you don't care. So discipline your children. Hebrews twelve six. the Lord disciplines those who he loves. See, if I don't discipline my kids, it proves two things. Number one, it proves that I don't really love my kids. If you refuse to discipline, uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, your son, it proves you don't love him. That's the living Bible. It's modern speech. It proves it. You let your child run rampant and do whatever they want, they're not going to make it in this world because they got to live in this world and the world's not going to put up with that. But it all starts in the home. That loving discipline. Number two, it shows that if I don't discipline my children... It shows that I'm participating in their destruction. That's what Proverbs 19.18 is talking about. Discipline your child while they are young enough to learn. From the very beginning of yes and no and hot. I mean, they learn these little words like no, hot, burn. You know, you don't want them touching the hot stove. And so you're helping them disciplining them. Why? You don't want them to be hurt. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about, right? When you, when you read the Ten Commandments, that's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Those are not a bunch of rules. That is God's love toward you so you don't get yourself into trouble. His Ten Commandments are not there to hurt you. They're there to help you. You don't break God's laws. They end up breaking you. And so God, you know, we've got to have some discipline and help our children from the earliest of age know what's going on. If you don't, you're, you're helping them destroy themselves. And let me add this, God never punishes his children. Now when I say his children, I'm, I want to be very clear here. What am I talking about? Remember when you were far from God, before you knew God, when you were a rotten little sinner like me? And then one day, I heard about this God who loved me and cared for me and gave his life for me, sent his son to die for me. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart, convicting me of my sin, not guilting me. The Holy Spirit will never guilt you. If you feel guilt, it's either coming from you or the other source, Satan. But the Holy Spirit will lovingly guide and convict you. Well, that happened to me when I was about 12 years old, and I became one of God's kids. And that enmity between me and God, that anger that he had toward me because of my sin, was all paid for by Jesus on the cross. So all that wrath, all that anger, all that punishment went to who? Jesus. Jesus was punished for me. So therefore, God 
does not condemn any of his children and never will punish his children. Punishment is prepared in a place called hell. It was never intended for man. It was intended for Satan and his followers. But God will not forbid you from going there if you choose to go there. He will not force you to follow him. But I digress. He will not punish you. But you will be disciplined along the way. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Watch this. There is, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What if you're not in Christ Jesus? Condemnation. Punishment's coming your way. I would be very, very afraid if I were you. If you are not in Christ today. How many of you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? How many of you have trusted Him alone for your salvation? How many of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? My Bible says, for those who are in Christ are without condemnation. Uncondemnable. Satan's going to try. The world's going to guilt you. But in God's eyes, you are guilt-free and there is no condemnation coming your way. Therefore, there should be no fear because there is no punishment when you are in Christ Jesus. Uh, What's the difference between punishment and discipline? I've got two columns here. I want to explain this. Uh, At Upward recently, someone heard my topic for this Sunday. They said, well, what's the difference between punishment and discipline? It's pretty simple. Punishment has at its root, its core, to inflict penalty. When somebody rapes or murders or robs and steals, we do what? Send them to jail. Why? We want to punish them. It's punitive. You do this, you get X amount of years in that penitentiary, and let's not fool ourselves. Penitentiaries are not there to reform anybody. It's not rehabilitation. It is punishment. As a matter of fact, they usually come out worse than when they went in. The recidivism rate for those that are in prison and come out is horrific. But when it comes to raising our children, it should be to promote growth, not punishment. I want my child to grow. I don't want him to continue this behavior, and I'm going to do whatever I can to prevent that from happening. You see the difference? The purpose for punishment is to focus on the past i want to focus on the future with my child it's that direction where he ends up is where i want to put my time attention resources so he sees where to go not just look what you did look at your past keep feeling bad about yourself remember why you're here punishment is an attitude of anger Discipline is a matter of love. How many of you parents have in anger went to your child and spanked them? Don't raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. I grew up in a household like that. My dad would spank first and ask questions later, all right? It's just the way it was in those days. And he would use a belt. He had this little skinny belt. And those skinny belts, I think, hurt worse than the big fat ones, man. I'll take a big fat belt any day over a skinny belt. But that's just the day and time that I grew up in, all right? 
I would suggest this, parents, never use anything associated with you when it comes to disciplining your child. If you're going to paddle them, use a paddle. Don't use your hand. You know, every time I saw my dad's belt, I feared my father. Why? It was associated with what? Punishment. They weren't raised with discipline. They were raised with punishment. Whole wrong attitude. Whole wrong motive. God's, God's not about anger. Sometimes you parents need to go into your room before you discipline your children and you count to ten. Get, get calmed down before you go in and talk to your child because all you're doing is venting your anger. Don't do that. You go talk to God before you go in and talk to your child. You get calm because you want a lesson to be learned here. You're focused on the future. You're focusing on promoting growth. You're focusing on not anger, but an attitude of love. And finally, the end result of punishment is fear, guilt, and more anger. Just ask those that come out of prison how they feel. And then discipline focuses on security. Hey, I've been raised in the way I should go. My parents understand me. They're raising me according to the word of God, which is a good thing, and according to my bent, my gifts, my style, my personality. And they're not raising me like this child because I'm different from that child. Even though we're in the same family, same parents, your two kids can be very, very different. And yet my parents understand me. That's what God's talking about here. And the result of discipline is security. Boundaries. Boundaries bring security. So, how can I know when I'm punishing my child or when I'm disciplining my child? Well, look at your child's reaction when you're doing it. That's a big clue. Ask yourself, is my child afraid of me right now? And if they are, chances are you're punishing them, you're not disciplining them. Look at 1 John 4.18. There is how much fear in love? No fear. I, I don't fear God in the sense that I'm afraid of Him. I have a reverential fear of God, a reverential sense of awe of God, and I never want to be flippant with God, but I am not in fear and trembling of my heavenly Father. Why? I'm already uncondemnable. He's told me, if I'm in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. And your children should always feel, no matter what they've ever done, no matter what they will ever do, we told our son this, we will never stop loving you. And so you can come and talk to mom and dad about anything and everything. Boy, once they they hear that, then you take away the fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with what? Punishment. It's discipline that God's interested in. Back to James Dobson. Love this guy. He wrote a book a number of years ago called Dare to Discipline. Uh, We actually watched the series here um, back in the old video days. And he has some great things to say. Let me point out three things on what he has to say about discipline. When you discipline, discipline, number one, calmly. Calmly. Some of you think you've got to scream your head off in order to discipline your child. Wrong. You can be very calm 
when you are the authority figure and bring about great results in your discipline. How do I know that? Uh, Because I've gotten five speeding tickets since I was 15 and a half years old. And every time the policeman came up and you wrote on your window, they say, may I see your driver's license and registration? And they've never failed to say, please. So cool, so calm, so collective. And I am in fear and trembling. Why? That little black book they got in their hand, right? That thing they can scribble that ticket on. Am I going to get one? Am I not going to get one? I've been stopped seven times for speeding. Twice, they let me off with a warning. Once, I think I could have gone to jail. I was 19 years old on a deserted road out somewhere in Texas doing 115 miles an hour. Dusk was settling down, and about a mile in front of me, I see these red lights light up. And the man was already out of the car with the radar saying, pull over, buddy. And I got out of that with a warning. Grace, mercy. But very calmly, he said, what you in such a hurry for, boy? I remember that. Cowboy hat on, kind of like Waller's over here. Uh, I said, no real good excuse, but... Spent more time in California with my girlfriend than I should have, and I'm going to school here in Lubbock, and I'm in a hurry. (laughs) So he gave me a warning ticket. He said, put that on your dash and drive the speed limit the rest of the way into town. But police officers are very polite. They're not all upset. They're not saying, what did you go so fast over the speed limit for? Let me just tell you, boy, you're a real guy. No, they're very cool, calm. They say, thank you very much, sir. Have a nice day as they're handing you that ticket. Parents, you don't have to be screaming your head off to show discipline. Did I deserve those tickets? Absolutely, yes. And a whole lot more than I haven't got caught on. Pray for your preacher to slow down. I'm wired way too fast. Parents, you don't have to be screaming at your kids. Proverbs 29.11 actually says, A fool gives vent to his anger. A fool gives vent to his anger. Discipline them calmly. My son was probably seven or eight years old. What, you, how old do you have to be to start lying to your parents? Probably not very old. Probably younger than that. I remember I ate a cookie one time before dinner and I put one in my mouth and mom came into the kitchen and said, did you eat the cookie I told you not to eat? And my back was to her like this and I said, mm-mm. I'm thinking I was four or five. Real young. So you, you can learn to lie. He, did, he lied about something. And lying, let me tell the young people in here right now, to listen to me right now, young people. If you're a young person, look at me right now. If you are 13, 14, or younger, look at me right now. The worst thing you can do is lie to your parents. It's like going to the doctor, and you've got this pain in your side, and your appendix is about to burst. And the doctor's kind of trying to figure out what's wrong with you and pushes and goes, does that hurt? You go, oh, no, 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 doesn't hurt at all. I'm fine, just fine. Well, if you lie to your doctor, your doctor cannot help you and you'll be in real trouble. Well, the same is true of your parents, young people. When you lie to your parents, they're here to help you. When you lie to them, 
You're only hurting yourself because they cannot protect you and help you when you're hiding and covering up. Well, my son lied to me. And I'm looking around for mom because mom wasn't home. I think she normally did the disciplining, and I'd never spanked him before. And I wasn't sure how to do this thing, but I remember she used a wooden spoon. All right? So I said, you go to your room, and I'm going to go get the wooden spoon. So I went into the kitchen, and I'm digging through, and we used to have a bunch of them, but I found this one, and I went in there, and I go, hmm, how did she do this? What did she say? I couldn't remember. So I go in, and I said, do you know why Daddy's doing this? Mm-hmm, because I lied. And you know why it's bad to lie? Daddy can't help you. Mommy can't, we can't protect you when you lie to us and cover up. And so you're going to have to have a spanking. And uh, he said, is it going to hurt? Oh, crush you, man. I said, yeah, probably it is. How many times are you going to spank me? Have you thought about that? And I said, I don't know, you lied, son. That's a bad, that's a real bad, that's the worst thing you could do. So I think three times should be sufficient. How hard are you going to hit me? I'm not kidding you. And I, so I went over, he was by his bed, right? We're in his bedroom. And I smacked the bed. And I said, about that hard. Okay, so he turns around and one. Remember that old saying, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? My dad used to say it, and I never believed it. But in my case, it's hurting me to do this. But I already said three. I wanted to stop right there. I go, what am I saying three for? Two. And three. But the third time, I was almost in tears. And I turned around and walked away because I didn't want him to see me. His back's to me, crying. And I said, Daddy, be back in just a minute. You just think about what you did. And I went into my room. I closed the door. And I was in tears. And I said, God, I can never do this again. I know you said about that spare in the rod thing. Help me to find another way to discipline my son. This is just too painful for me. Shortly after that, my son did something else, a minor offense. He happened to be playing with his Atari game that we had just got him. He loved that thing 24-7. He, the little portable ones, you know, when, this was years ago. And I said, give me your Atari game. And I took it, and you thought that I, you know, just took away, you know, his very breath, life, existence. And I took it into the bedroom. When I came out, he's just, what? <laughs> Dad, <laughs> how long are you going to keep it? And I said, you don't get this back until tomorrow. And then he looked at me with those puppy dog eyes and said, Daddy, can't you just spank me like you did last time and I have it back? (laughs) And you know what I said? No! And in my heart, I'm looking up to God, thank you for answering my prayer. I figured out the way my child's bent and character and what what really worked. That was the worst thing that I could have possibly done to my child is take that Atari away. Find out what works for you. Understand your children. It's really a cool thing. Fast forward, he's now off to college. And so Jane and I think, let's convert his bedroom into our den. Cool, great. So we're in there taking everything out. We're cleaning out his closet, and we found about a dozen wooden spoons. And Jane goes, 
I was wondering where all those wooden spoons went. He was hiding them. Turkey. Shemanese. True story. Right, Jane? Yeah. Double check. Verify here. Our kids. Got to love them, right? Ephesians 6, 4. But don't keep on scolding and nagging your children. Your kids don't enjoy nagging any more than you do. I can tell you that right now. Making them angry and resentful. Number two. Discipline them quickly. Uh, If you don't, you lose the moment. You lose your authority. Uh, My mom used to say when we do something wrong, you just wait till your father gets home. Now that did two things. Number one, it kind of disconnects what you did wrong with the discipline. Does that make sense? It's just too, too far apart. And then number two, it gives me time to rationalize and come up with a good reason to tell my dad, well, dad, here's why I did that. And all the excuses come out. You don't want that either. Do it quickly. And then number three, sparingly. Sparingly. Fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and quit trying. Parents, are you constantly on them? Are you constantly doing what the Bible says not to do? And and some of you with little toddlers, uh, ladies and husbands, uh, don't spend the next two years saying, no, no, don't touch, no, no, don't touch. Just childproof your house for a few years because... You know, I, th- I think we did that. Jane had some china and some nice things that when Corey started walking that he could get into. And there's certain cupboards that you don't want your kids into. So we put those little safety hooks in, right? And then after two years, you take them off and everything's fine. And you're not driving yourselves nuts by saying, no, 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 a thousand times. Does that make sense? And so use it sparingly. Save everybody, the whole household, a whole bunch of grief. Now, number four, quickly, we've got to keep moving. i got two more points. I must express love to my children. Three ways. Three ways kids understand love. Through affection, that's hugs and kisses and pats on the backs. Uh, when our son was young, a little guy, he, he was, I know he was young enough to, I could still hold him in one arm. And I would say, has daddy told you that he loves you today? And Cora would say, mm-mm. And I may have sung it three times, but this little game we would play. And I would say, oh, Daddy loves you so much. And I said, has Daddy told you how special you are today? And he'd say, mm-mm. And I said, oh, you're so special. Has Daddy given you any hugs and kisses yet today? Mm-mm. I may have done it two or three times, but he wants more. Kids love this stuff. And so I'd smother him with hugs and kisses. Has Daddy patted you on the back today? Mm-mm. And I'd take him, pat him on the back and... Good boy, good boy. And, you know, if you go really, really fast, and he would do something that his son, I've, known, I've been doing this with our grandson, Corey did the same thing. When I'd start doing that pat on the back, uh, he'll start going, uh, like a machine gun. It's a weird sound, but it, they'd love it. Show affection. Psalm 145.9, the Lord has compassion. That just means affection to all that he made, including you. We should have that if he's our Heavenly Father, our model with our children. Studies show that fathers are one-sixth as physically affectionate toward their kids as mothers. And so, fathers, your homework assignment today is go home and hug your kids. Tell them you love them. Show some affection to your kids today. Number two, through affirmation. Um, And you know when we need most affirmation the most? When we succeed or when we fail? When we fail. Uh, some 
145.14, the Lord upholds and uplifts those who are what? Down. Everybody affirms the, you know, the report card that comes home with straight A's. But what if you come home with straight D's and one F? Mm, and, yet, and you tried. It's just not your thing. Oh, everyone loves the guy that hits the, the game-winning home run. Boy, affirmation, affirmation. Everyone loves the one who wins the contest. But what about when you lose? That's when we need to be affirmed the most. What I want you parents to do is teach your children it's okay to fail. If, 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 if they try. And if you're understanding them and trying to figure out what makes them tick and what they're good at and what they're not so good at, you will know the difference when they're trying and when they're slacking. And then make a judgment based on that. I wasn't very good at math. And I've got some mathematician teachers over here and people that are really good at math. and go, well, what's so hard about math? You know, I, I excelled in other areas. My GPA overall, you know, I guess was around a B minus. And it went up when I went to college because the college I went to didn't require any math in the field that I was in. Love that. And what I said with my son, understanding that was, Corey, if you try, I don't care what your grade is, but if you do your best, you will not be in trouble from your mom and dad. Just try your best. Does that make sense? And, and that's the key understanding what their strengths are. His strengths were things like science. Won a science contest out of, I don't know, all the schools in the Whittier District. Eh, I wasn't first place, but a third ain't bad. I was proud of that. And so we affirm what he's good at. We should do the same thing with our kids. Teach them it's okay to fail as long as they try. And then through attention. This is probably the number one way kids um, sense that they are loved. When, when, when you notice them, the first big boy bike that he had with handle grips. Uh, he, he said, Daddy, look at me, look at me. You know, the training wheels are off, and I hadn't seen him ride this thing yet. And he wanted to be noticed. Don't we want to be noticed? Do you ever wonder if God looks down and notices you? Of course he does. You know, why do we do our hair a certain way? We want to be noticed. It's like our son saying, look at me, Daddy, look at me. We all want to be noticed. Your children want to be noticed by you. This is probably the number one way kids sense that they're loved. Have you ever said to your son or daughter, try this line on them. If I had a choice to choose any child in the whole wide world, do you know what? I would still choose you. Ooh, they eat that up. They want to know you love them that you affirm them, that you're affectionate toward them. Psalm 145, 18, our Heavenly Father, our model, is near to us when we call on Him. What's that mean, He's near to us? He notices us. He pays attention to us like we're the only one He needs to pay attention to. We have so many absentee parents, so many absentee fathers, never around. And even when they are around, they're not really there. They're into their own thing. They're sort of aloof. Cornell University did a study, this is a number of years ago, and they attached these little monitors and cameras. This is a preschool uh, child study, kids of that age level. And they found that the the average American father spends on a per-day basis 37.7 seconds a day talking to their preschool children. A few years later, Dr. Seymour Diamond did a follow-up study 
was a little older kids. He said the average father spends 38 seconds a day being what he calls totally attentive and another 20 minutes being partially attentive to their children. Our kids want to be noticed and affirmed. Number five, and we'll close. I must be consistent with my children. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous. That just means he's fair. Uh, he, he doesn't come home from work moody. You never know. Some of you are wondering, ah, what kind of mood is mom or dad going to be in today when they walk through the door? Is it Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde today? You know, they, you know, one, you're, you're not consistent. Our God is consistent. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, It is a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. Honesty is one of the best ways you can prove you're consistent. You demonstrate honesty in two ways. Number one, you don't imply that you're perfect. You don't imply perfection. When you are wrong and you make a mistake, you admit that you're wrong. Tell your children that you are sorry when you mess up. How many of you parents have ever done that? You make them say... Tell me you're sorry. Tell me you're sorry. But you never tell them you're sorry. Corey's now about 10 years old. It's Craigie boy, the boy next door. We were into paintballing at that time. And we went out to SC Village out here in Corona. And we'd played, you know, some speedball and some city courses and some military courses, trench warfare. But we'd never done jungle warfare. And I said, just near the end of the day, last game of the day, let's hike over there and let's do the jungle course. And they said, okay, that'd be great. So we divided up teams, but it was a busy day. And all that means is for every game of paintball, there's supposed to be a ref. If any of you have ever done paintball before, there's supposed to be a referee for every game who's fair and honest and kind of keeps the peace, right? Because some of these games can get a little bit out of hand. And um, we were without a ref. And we said, hey, we want to play, so why don't we just do the honor system? Fine, great. So group went that way, we went this way. Long story short, Corey, Craigie, and I are all pinned down. There's a group of guys that have all, it's our first time on this course, but they got the best spot. It's through tall bamboo shoots. You can't see them, but they can see you. And we are being peltered. We're, we're hiding behind a little barrier. And the rules say you can't hold your gun up and people are going to, you've got to raise up and shoot. You've got to be looking at what you're shooting at. So I say, here's, here's what we're going to do. I'll pop up, and then Corey, you pop up, and then Craig, you pop up, and we'll take turns in that order. Well, when I popped up, boom, got hit right in the eye with a paintball. Don't be afraid. You're wearing a mask, all right? The best place to get hit in paintball, I guarantee you, is in the face because it doesn't hurt. It splatters, and you can't see anything, and that's why you carry a rag and you wipe it off. And the rule says once you're hit in a game, you hold your weapon up and you say, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out at the top of your lungs three times. Then you stand up, and then you walk off the course. Well, I did exactly that. And as I'm walking off the course, I take three rounds in the back from that bamboo place that and I turned around and I said a bad word I probably shouldn't this is on tape and okay it's a small three letter word that stands for a reservoir 
It holds back a large body of water. I said something like reservoir it. You know what I'm talking about? I'll just leave it at that. I said, I'm out, reservoir it. Did you not hear me? And I'm looking right into this bamboo. You can't see any human beings. All you can see is these weapons pointed out at you. And it went quiet. The whole, every, all the shooting stopped. And as I'm walking off the course, I hear my son behind me say to Craigie boy, that's the first time I've ever heard my dad cuss. And oh, I'm feeling lower than low now, right? Like, of all times to not have a referee. And I blew it. Well, that was our last game of the day. We're packing up. We're now on the road, and we're heading home, and it's kind of quiet. And I said, uh, Corey, Craigie, Remember today when I said that bad word and I got angry? Well, I was wrong. And you boys deserve an apology. I should not have said what I said. Can you boys find it in your heart to forgive me? And my son says, Dad, of course we can. And he's, he, I'm in the front seat driving here. Craig, or Corey's next to me. Craig is in the back. And my boy's going, it's okay, Dad. We all make mistakes. Pat me on the leg. And Craig is in the back. Seat. Oh, yeah. You should hear what my dad says. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, don't want to go there. And I thank them. So what did I just do? I trained my son that nobody's perfect. That's why we need a God. And that's why we need a Savior. And I said, you know what? Let's have a little prayer. I'm going to keep my eyes open because I'm driving, but let's have a little prayer. And we had a little prayer on the way home. That was a learning moment for all of us. I don't think I played paintball again. (laughs) And number two, don't imply you're perfect. And number two, keep your promises. If you make a promise to your child, you better keep it. It's the number one cause of bitterness in the home. Psalm 145.13 says the Lord is faithful in all of his promises. There are 365 promises in this book right here, and God will keep them, every single one of them. So you say to your son, son, this Saturday we're going to take, I'm going to take you on a fishing trip, and the boy gets so excited. He gets his fishing pole out and his tackle box out, and every day he's dreaming about this fishing trip, him and his dad. And they're up early, and the boy's eating breakfast, and the phone rings, and this father goes over and picks up the phone. Oh, hey, how you doing? Great, great. What? You got tickets to the playoff game? Today? Box seats? Parking included? Man, I'm there. Hangs up the phone. Son, our trip's called off today. Something very important has come up. How do you think that makes that boy feel? That will crush them. Parents, if you make a promise, you better keep it. Now be very careful with what you say yes to. A rule that we got into with my son would come up to me and ask for something. Let me check with your mother first. Because there may be other plans, right? Or let me check with your father first. Because you don't want to break a promise. I remember my son saying, but dad, you promised, you promised. And I go, oh, yeah, early on, and it just kills you. They will remember. And so what I started saying was, maybe, perhaps, we'll see. Let me check with mom. (laughs) Recently, in the last few months, 
I, I said to my, and they never get over this. I mean, they still, my son's now 32 years old. And I said, hey, I called him on a Monday, I think. Corey, I think one day this week, and I told him a particular day, I'm planning on coming out, maybe having dinner, spend the night and get up with you at four in the morning. And we'll take off and I'll go home with you. And he says, great, great, super good. Um, I says, not 100%, but, you know, I'll keep you posted throughout the week. Well, I called him later that week and said, you know what? This week's not going well. I'm not going to be able to. Oh, Dad, but you said you were coming. You promised. No, I didn't promise. 32 years old. They still have that in them. And so, you know what? Since that time, what I've been saying to him is, son, I am 75% sure I will be there on such and such a night this week. But it depends on how everything. 75%? Okay. Did you hear me? 75%? And then I'll check in with you on Wednesday. I'm I'm at 89.2%. I'll be there. And then the night before, it's like, I am 98.6% sure. Don't I do this, Jane? She's listening to me on the phone. I am 98. I don't ever want to say 100% because then I'll get the, but you promised. They never get over that. Don't break your promise. So be very careful when you do make a promise. Kids will understand if something's important. There's a you know life-threatening event. There's a you know some you know natural disaster. Uh, blah blah blah. I, I think one time the freeway we couldn't get through the pass because of the fires over here on the 91. That's how we get to his house. You know he un- they'll understand stuff like that. But if it's just I'm going to the Dodger game, get out of here. Don't pull that stuff. You keep your promises to your children. Malachi 4, verse 6, last verse. I know I kept you over, but it's an important lesson today. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to who? Their children. Oh, that's so good. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's my prayer for the church. That's my prayer for America. Because we all know, as goes the church, family, so goes the nation. We need strong families. And so let's pray for those strong families right now. And we'll close. Maybe today you feel a little frustrated at being a parent. That's a tough job. Dobson was right. Parenting, it's not for cowards. Maybe you feel like a total failure. I just want to tell you, there is hope. As long as you're alive, there's hope. You have a Heavenly Father that loves you and a Heavenly Father that will forgive you. You just got to admit to Him and then receive His forgiveness. Look at what He's like and then treat your kids that way. Just say, God, I admit it. I have not been the parent I ought to be or that I want to be. I admit it to you and I ask for your forgiveness. And then ask God to help you change. Maybe you need to plan a time of reconciliation with your children and say to them kids I haven't been the kind of parent that I should have been to you but God has called me to be the spiritual leader of this home and I need your prayers to help me to be what I want to be and what God wants me to be Heavenly Father I guess the bottom line to today's message is this help us all as parents to treat our kids the way that you treat us in Jesus name Amen.